big topics in data architecture call for big conversations. Big Ideas in App Architecture, the new podcast from Cockroach Labs, invites innovators to discuss their experiences building reliable, scalable, maintainable systems. Visit cockroachlabs.com slash stackoverflow to listen and subscribe. Make sure to use that link and let them know the podcast sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, Ryan and Ben edition, bringing you a little home team goodness, talking over the news, everything that matters in the world of software and technology. What's happening, Ryan? Oh, not much. Sitting around? Not much. Sitting around, just getting ready for a day of farming on the old content. There you go. Planting seeds. Tilling on the old content farm. Incepting. Exactly. So speaking of inception, brains, minds, and things of that nature, you and I like to stand on either side of the debate. Do large language models actually know anything? And I watch a, a great YouTube channel called AI Explained that goes through a lot of research papers, like basically just breaks down a lot of the, the latest research. And there's an interesting one, ChatGPT fails basic logic. You can say A equals B and then ask it, does B equal A? And it will not get it. Who is Tom Cruise's mother? It will tell you. Who is the son of this woman doesn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. And there are other weird things like that. You can say like, what do you know about this remote island in Norway? And I'll say, I've never heard of it. And then you can say, I'm trying to think of this island that's like at longitude X and is this wide and has this many people. And it's like, oh, it's this island. And it's like, oh, so you you do know this island. So in that sense, I guess, you know, to your point, Mm -hmm. it doesn't know things the way we know things. Well, I mean, to flip on the, uh, the other side of things, I have seen things where it sort of implies that, that language is, is sort of the basis of thought, that without language, right. you can't actually think things. There was a right. NPR story about somebody who was deaf and they never learned sign language. And so they got into an ESL class uh, when they were in their 20s. And somebody was trying to teach them, you know, basically the difference between like you and I, and then asked them, you know, what was it like before? you knew sign language. And they said it was sort of dark and fuzzy and they couldn't couldn't describe it. They couldn't talk right. about it. So yeah. with the large language models, it may just be that language is enough. I do think that language is critical for a lot of, yeah, like conceptual thinking, like you and I, you know, like obviously animals can be out in the world alone and learn a lot through experience. Mm-hmm. But right, you know, to what degree of complexity does their sort of internal thought get without language? It's hard to know. There was actually a really interesting article in the New York Times recently about language saying, we've looked for a really long time to try to find something in our brain or even in our throat that's special. Mm -hmm. Like, why do humans have great language and nobody else does? And no matter how hard they look and everywhere they look, the answer is there's nothing different. Mm -hmm. Like the circuits in a songbird's brain that make its little, you know, language of 10 chirps is exactly the same as our circuits. Mm -hmm. Basically, we just won the biological lottery. Like we happened to get to a certain tipping point of complexity Mm -hmm. and then, you know, it kind of snowballed from there. Right. And if you don't teach people that, if they're not raised in an environment, Mm -hmm. like you said, maybe they really don't go very far at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, without senses to input data and without somebody to teach you language, what can you know? Like thought doesn't just sort of spontaneously emerge in your mind. So there's a book I read a while back called Why Only Us by Noam Chomsky and somebody right. else talking about language and the sort of genetic basis and the, going through the brain and all that. And one of the things is yeah. in there is that we have a special region that lights up for language called Broca's region. Right. And then there's also, in terms of the songbird, there's a specific nerve. Uh, I'm sure that 
the neurologists listening to this will correct me, but there's a nerve that right. connects to Broca's region that doesn't quite go as far in songbirds. Right. It's interesting. I'll send you the article afterwards and we'll put it in the show notes. Chomsky actually signed on to mm. one of these later papers kind of saying like, okay, I see where the research is going. And like, maybe, you know, he made a, a claim that was like 30, 40 years ago. Right. Maybe there's, you know, there's some merit to both sides. So it seems like he's kind of come around. It was like the part of the service, like they did not expect him to say like, yes, they were kind of like shocked that he would accept that criticism, but he's accepted some of that criticism and continues to, yeah, look mm -hmm to see, you know, what's unique and what's not. Yeah. But yeah, the flip side of this paper, the counterfactual was they never taught these GPT systems how to play chess. Mm -hmm. That wasn't part of their instructions. They just showed them language and had them learn language. And yet, ChatGPT, I think it's even 3.5, not the most advanced version, got like an 1800 ELO rating mm -hmm. and like is very capable of playing chess if you use, you know, a certain notation that it can understand. Mm -hmm. And there's more possible chess moves than atoms in the universe, right? It can't have memorized the game, mm -hmm. because that's just not how it works. And so it has built, through its acquisition of language, you know, some ability to have metacognitive abilities, like to mm -hmm. think through a chess game. But then they also pointed out, like, you could ask it a question that was very similar. Like, if you set it up so it wasn't chess, if you were like, I have these four pieces on the table, and I want to remove this one piece, and this piece moves like an L, and this piece only moves from diagonally, how should I go about it? Like, it doesn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. Like, it has to be within the confines of let's play chess, and then it right. knows how to do that. I wonder, you know, it's been trained on all this text and material, and it's been trained on Stack Overflow and its sites, and we have a chess right. site. So I wonder if right. just training on people talking about chess is enough for it to know how to play chess well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the question. Like, if you say it's just a stochastic parrot, what it should be able to do is respond to a move that it's read before. Mm -hmm. But to have like a sort of higher level strategy, presumably to get to that sort of a rating, you know, makes you wonder if, yeah, like somehow from the language, it's absorbed some of the strategy, you know, and can yeah. reason about it. And there's a site off of there that's like, it's something like chess is solved for four moves. <laughs> Checkmate in four moves. And it's a database of all of the possible combinations. Right. So <laughs> I like that. Turing complete. Yeah. Chess is fixed. We're done. We're done. One more thing just before we go there. Sure. You know, Go, which was around for 10,000 years and humans play whatever, whatever. Once AlphaGo started playing, it came up with completely new strategies that nobody had ever seen. And now the game of Go is different and humans play it differently. So that was kind of like, but it's not solved. Like we thought we kind of understood right. how the game was played and you could have exceptional strategy within those confines. But the way the AI approached it with this alien right. intelligence opened up a whole new way of thinking about Go, which is kind of cool. Yeah. There's a Google spreadsheet I saw that's like all the weird stuff that AI has done. And like when right. AI gets rules, it's like, there's one where it's like a physics simulation and it's like, build the, the fastest possible thing in this. And right. it built a very large tower that fell over. And that was the fastest <laughs> according to the rules. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Make me the richest person in the world. Oh, I didn't mean for you to eliminate everybody else. That's right. <laughs> so speaking of AI, I just wanted to shout out a couple of things on Stack Overflow. We'll include the links in the show notes. Obviously, we have something up on the blog and on our labs page. You can apply to get into the alpha of community search, which is basically an evolution of Stack Overflow search. You will get instant sort of summarized solutions aggregated by Gen AI and links to the questions that it drew from as its ground truth so that we can make sure we you know reward and respect and uh, recognize the community members who did that you can ask follow-up questions in a chat-like format so it's not open to a ton of people but you can get on the wait list you can read about what's happening and um, definitely something we're playing with internally that's a lot of fun have you played around with it at all ryan 
Uh, I haven't, but I, I think it's a pretty exciting development. You no longer have to do the, the magic keywords to get what you want. Yes, no more magic keywords. Exactly. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to shout out on Stack Overflow, we're going to have a blog about this soon. We've had these things called collectives for a while, which are sort of like areas where you can go to discuss a specific topic, whether that's, you know, you're really focused on AWS. There's AWS experts there. And now we have one about CICD, for example. And we tweak the rules a little bit so it doesn't have to be just Q&A. There can be discussion posts. And so that's kind of a new format for, you know, the Stack Overflow corpus. Like it's always just been, hey, you need to ask a question in a specific way. And so there's been some great discussions there. They're open-ended. You know, people are having debates so, for example, you know, there was one on the CICD Collective. It's, you know, sort of like rethinking infrastructure as code from scratch. Does it have to be this complex? And so I guess like somebody had read a book, it kicked off a thought in their mind, what could be done to reduce infrastructure as code complexity? And so then, you know, a lot of people sort of chimed in and many of these folks have many, many years of experience in the world of software engineering. So it's cool to hear from them and have them share their ideas. Yeah, these kind of discussions between people who know a lot of stuff are, are some of my favorite things to read on the internet. Yeah. You know, I do like going to Hacker News and and listening to people argue there. I learn more about how things work and what the particular pros and cons and arguments are. Yeah. I'd love your comments. Comment on the blog. <laughs> Comment on the blog with your real Stack Overflow handle and we'll, yeah. we'll engage you. All right. Important news uh, for my box of cords and cables. <laughs> Apple is switching entirely to USB-C, getting rid of their proprietary lightning port. This was a regulatory change, Ryan. What happened here? Yeah. So I think uh, there was a European regulatory agency that sued them. Let's see. European Union mandate that required mobile devices to adopt USB-C. They right. required interoperability. So I think USB-C is a good standard and Apple has been putting out ridiculous, random yes. standards every couple of years. As we sit now, I'm on a Mac with a Thunderbolt port from the yeah. monitor going to an adapter. And then over here, I have an adapter from USB-C to regular USB because Mac doesn't bother putting USB-C. And it's just like, I don't want to be dongle guy anymore. You know, right. I don't need to be Mr. Dongle anymore. Yeah. I remember my last job, I had a Mac laptop and I left the, the charger cord at home on the, on the trip. So I went to the store and had to get this specialized $80 charger cord. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, that's where those sweet, sweet profit margins come from, buddy. Oh, buddy. Don't touch those. Design ain't free, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Form and function. I mean, I think we're starting to see little teeth in some of the tech regulatory stuff, you know. Right. And I think that's a good thing, like getting better standards, having everybody use them having those yeah. standards be better instead of having your particular thing, right? Like, I think that's why VHS won over Betamax. It was an easier standard. Yeah. And I certainly think, yeah, from an environmental perspective, it, it's great. Like, I've been dealing with moving my in-laws recently, and they have a lot of old stuff, and it's just, like, so many cords that are useless. Whereas if, like, we can all get on USB-C, and that lasts, you know, for 10 or 20 years, like, hey, I can recycle these cords. I can use them with new devices. You know, it doesn't have to be any device over five years has its own bizarre proprietary charger that's only good for that device. We don't want that. We don't want to live in that world. No, and, you know... Respect for Apple for their, their security practices, but it's why I don't use yeah. iPhones. Ooh, I'm I know. talking to a Windows man here. That's right. I build my own computers, like Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> Do you paint your own minifigs too? Oh, no. Love that Superman is a super nerd. That's right. All right. Last little bit of news here. Pretty interesting. Getty Images is getting into the generative AI game. 
they sued a generative AI company when it became obvious that a lot of their copyrighted images have been used to train it. You could see, you know, the Getty image watermark would appear as sort of this, you know, weird, mm-hmm. a weird ghostly version of it would appear and it became clear. But they've also, you know, recognized, look, you know, this technology is coming. We can't, you know, ignore it. And so there's going to be a version, I guess, with their subscription where you can ask for something. It's been trained on all their licensed stock photography. And therefore, when you get the image out of it, you know, you know that, you know, it was generated from licensed content that Getty owns. And so having worked in the news business for a long time, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Like we used to have Getty at The Verge for our stock imagery iStock and, you know, Shutterstock and all that stuff you and I have used. And sometimes even in an abstract way, it used to be, hey, I I need, you know, an image that is evocative of robot or cybersecurity or innovation. And they have, you know, some illustrations in there. So it's cool that now you could come at it with a more, you know, detailed, evocative, precise prompt, and it could generate options on the fly. And, you know, in the future, I'm sure, like, with the ones that are evolving, you'll have in-painting and aspect ratios and, you know, all different kinds of stuff that you can use. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Ryan? So I think that this is an interesting, in terms of the the legal aspect of it, you know, they ruled that AI-generated images couldn't be copyrighted, but if you own the entire data set that it's trained on, are the resulting ones also copyrightable, you know? Yeah, it's something that's still sort of working its way through the courts Mm -hmm. and, you know, is a murky area. And there are a lot of companies, ours included, where, you know, if we're going to put something up on our site, we don't want any legal ambiguity about it, right? So, like, we prefer to, you know, pay for a license and then use that tool as opposed to grabbing something where the onus is on us in the future to assume the the copyright liability. Yeah, right? I mean, there's also, you know, the, the human story, like, People are creating all these images that it's trained on. Same as Stack Overflow, people are creating all the questions and answers and you know, I, I think this is a weird step for people. Like, are, are people going to stop selling their images to Getty Images now? Are they going to mm. say, oh, you're just putting this in the, you know, sausage maker? Right. Yeah, that is a great question. To what degree does it devalue the photos? Because now, you know, a license comes with the ability to maybe generate an infinite variations or, you know, whatever my imagination. I guess we'll see how they set their license up. Maybe it's, you know, you get 10 AI generated prompts, you know, a month for this amount or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I certainly think it begs the question of what happens right to, you know, photographers and illustrators and copywriters and people whose job a gen AI can now do pretty well. Mm -hmm. I guess one thing we saw recently that definitely reflected on this was the writer's strike in Hollywood. Sure. And they, you know, walked off the job for almost 150 days and they got concessions from the studios about, you know, not allowing writers in the writer's room to be replaced by AI. So actors are next still working on yeah. securing their digital rights in perpetuity. But um, yeah, these things are playing out. I mean, Bruce Willis already sold his digital right. rights. Well, you, you if know. you want to sell your digital rights, be my guest. The, right. You know, what people are saying is basically like, when I appear in your film, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not granting you the right to then, you know, remake me in another movie with my voice and my face, unless right. I say so. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, they were trying that with extras, just being like, right. here's 150 bucks. We get to use you as an extra in any movie we want right. digitally. I mean, that's the, right, that's the slippery slope is like, you know, you could always find someone to cross the picket line probably, right. you know, and so like, how do you do that? And that's what, you know, these unions exist to sort of say like, within this industry, we have certain rules that we've agreed on to protect workers. You yeah. can't go out and find somebody else to break these rules. So we'll see. Yeah. There's already folks creating fully artificial pop stars and avatars and right. it'll just be fully artificial actors and actresses and it'll just be yeah. one guy with all the money making everything. 
No, it won't. I mean, yeah, even before Gen AI, you know, the most popular pop star, I forget if it was, you know, Japan or Korea, but there was an extremely popular holographic pop star for years, you know, and this was before Gen AI was just created by people, but they didn't need a physical, you know, person. Yeah. And, you know, people have had AI chatbots now who have become their, you know, surrogate boyfriend or girlfriend and they text with them and, you know, they form a deep emotional bond with them. I mean, look, let's go back in time. You know, if you're more obsessed with your stamp collection than you are with human beings, you know, if a telenovela is more meaningful to you emotionally than, you know, your spouse, like you don't need AI to become attached to something inanimate, right? Like that's part yeah. of being human. Yeah. But, you know, now that your telenovela can can talk to you or your stamp collection can <laughs> go on, you know, deep philosophical conversations, like that's, that's going to change things. Right. All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Normally, I shout out a lifeboat, but we don't have any fresh ones. So like I mentioned, there are now discussions on our collective. So if you are interested to work with PHP, you can head on over to the PHP Collective, check out a discussion. What are the most useful new PHP features for version 8? And tons of folks weighing in on what they think are the most useful features. I'll be sure to include the link in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. PHP lives. PHP lives. Never die. Kill it with fire. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And do me a favor, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps the show. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. It's at stackoverflow.blog. And you can find me on X at rthordonovan. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon.